This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a really awesome privilege to get to talk to you today. We're right in the middle of a series that we've called Forever Free, really isolating and talking about freedom. I mean, well, it's something that most of us, because we're Americans, we've had that conversation about what freedom means. And I think that when you dive into it, the thing that's unique about freedom, as the Bible likes to talk about it, is that it is the central issue of the gospel. It is really what God is working to achieve in your life and in my life. As a matter of fact, it's the nagging knowledge that we all carry through life where you know, like, I'm supposed to be a little bit better, a little bit freer. There are things that I'm supposed to do that I'm not doing. There are things that I need to quit that I can't. We live with that. We face that. We live knowing that we need freedom. Galatians 5.1 goes so far as to say that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. It's the whole point of all of this. The whole point is for freedom. So last week, we started this series by talking about what the problem is. And I gave you this kind of as an opening thought. It's real simple, that it's impossible to solve a problem when you don't know what's wrong. It's impossible to solve a problem when you don't know what's wrong. And the problem may be that you don't know what the problem may be. Now, you may have a general understanding and direction. But I think that a lot of us feel like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7.15, where he says this, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I don't know if you're like me, and you've read the Bible, and you see where Jesus says, you need to forgive your enemies. You need to love those who persecute you. He says to the rich young ruler in the Gospels, no, no, don't just follow a few of the commandments, give everything that you have and come follow me. I don't know if you've read those things and when you read it, you go, I, I'm so far from that. That seems foreign to me. Loving my enemies, that just feels, but this is a verse that you can all go home and say, I finally found a verse that I can identify with because he says something that we've all known. The things that I want to do, I have a hard time doing. And the things that I find myself doing, I hate. You see, many of you have dogs. And when you get your dog in the very early stages of having a dog, they have um, behaviors that are not becoming to being a productive member of your household. You understand what I mean, right? And years later, you still have the dog. Why do you still have the dog? Because you're able to train them. You're able to beat the snot out of them and they stop peeing inside, right? You, you, you can train your dog. Have you ever noticed that your dogs behave better than you do? You can train your dogs, but we can't train ourselves. And the Apostle Paul, fast forward in Romans 7, says this. In Romans 7, 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So last week when we started to talk about the problem, the first thing that I elevated for you, and this is in your notes today, is that sin came through Adam, but it infected us too. 
The very beginning of the story is all about a guy named Adam, God that God created, put him in a perfect setting. And to be honest with you, it's the only time in human history that the world was fair. He gave him one rule, he blew it. And then the Bible, in reflection on what happened, says this in Romans 5.12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, this is a very unfair thing for us to start to think about and try to process and understand. The Bible says that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Most of us like to think about sin as a verb. It's something that you do. It's when you disobey your parents, when you do something that's breaking the law, when you go counter to what God wants you to do. But as the Bible is presenting sin to us in this passage, it shows us that sin's not necessarily a verb. It's a noun as sin entered the world. And it describes sin in a way that corresponds a lot like an infection like a pandemic, it entered Adam, but then it entered everyone else. And see, here's the unfair part of it. It's that God looked at you and me because of Adam, because sin entered the world through Adam, and says, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty, and you're worthy to be convicted and tried and sentenced to death because sin is in you. I want you to see something about sin that is tough for us to understand because as we think about in the terms of fairness, it is so vastly unfair. Number two, sin enslaved us and took ownership over our lives. And I know some of you go, ah, that's not true. That's not true. I don't, I don't believe sin owns me. I want you to understand you're a slave to sin. Outside of the power of God, outside of the rescue and redemption of God, you are a slave to sin. Jesus makes it quite simple for us in John 8. He says this, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, I don't know if you figured this out about you, but I have definitely figured it out about me. But I have sinned. You have probably too. I'm not going to leverage that judgment on you, but I'm just going to guess that most of us in this room, if I said, if you sinned, we'd all raise our hands. And Jesus is saying, if you have sinned, you are a slave to sin. There is no loophole. You're a slave to sin. See, the problem is not your sinning. The problem is not your behavior, your actions, the thing you do. The problem is that you are born a sinner. You were born a sinner. See, when the Apostle Paul talks about the struggles that he's having in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I find myself doing, I hate. When he talks about that tension that every one of us in this room can identify with, because every one of y'all get a week off of vacation and you make a big long list of the things you're going to do at home. And at the end of that week, all those things still on the list. Because there are things you wanted to do, but you didn't do. Our lives are filled with those. He makes an observation that's important. That the reason that we do that, he said that in 720, is not because I'm sinning. It's because sin lives in me. Sin lives in me. See, number three, all of our stories started with an unfair disadvantage. Every single story in here, all of them, started with an unfair disadvantage. See, I, I talked about this last week. You could imagine this is Adam, 
at the very beginning of time, and God gives Adam one rule, don't eat from this tree, all right, it's pretty, pretty simple, I've provided everything you need, even after the creation of Eve, now I've con- provided companionship, Adam had a close relationship with God, all the sustenance that he needed, all the food, one rule, don't eat from this one tree, don't eat from this one tree, and he blows it, that's where he eats from, right? Because sin entered the world through Adam, the Bible describes us as being born into Adam. So if you can imagine, here's me. When I'm born, the way that God sees me is that I'm born into Adam. That when God sees me, he sees me inside of the collapse of morality, the failure that was Adam. Here's my lovely wife who is awesome and wonderful and kind and sweet. We're not going to put her in there. All right? Here's my son, he's two years old. And if you have kids, you understand that somewhere between 18 months and 24 months, the sin nature of a person begins to show. (laughs) And his crazy self, right? He was born into Adam, right? Here's my mom and my dad. I'm not going to go into details. They were born into Adam. (laughs) Billy Graham right there, born into Adam, right? Mother Teresa, born into Adam. Here's my daughter, who's home today recovering from a surgery, praise God, right? She was born into Adam. Here's our church staff born into Adam. Here's you born into Adam. Here's your kids and your family born into Adam. See, when God looks at us, even my sweet wife, he sees us as being born into Adam. That's why in Romans 7, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the tension that all of us feel, the things I do I don't want to do, and the things I want to do I find myself not doing those. He begins and says this in Romans 7.24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Have you ever felt that way when you think about how you live? What a wretched man I am. See, that kind of statement, I love that in the way that the Scripture is developed there, that he doesn't tell us what he's struggling with. I love that because when we read the tension now, we can all immediately insert ourselves into that tension because we're all there. See, what a wretched man I am is not the kind of statement that somebody would say. It's, man, I just forgot to put the toilet seat down. My wife is mad at me. I just can't. I just can't bring myself to remember to unload the dishes. We just keep having this fight because my wife has to remind me to unload the dishes. No, this is big. This is big. What a wretched man I am. See, some of us in this room today were born with a massive disadvantage when we were born into Adam. Some of you were born into families where addiction is not just the exception, it is the rule. Your dad was an alcoholic, your grandfather was an alcoholic, your great grandfather was an alcoholic. It goes all the way up the tree. And you struggle, even though you may have stayed away from alcohol, you struggle with addictive tendencies. Some of you were born into families where, let's just be honest, the level of grace was exceptionally low. And your families, be mom and dad or brothers and sisters, you grew up talking negatively about the people that you lived with. And you learned to view the world through a lens of judgment, not grace. 
And even in this moment today, when you meet somebody, you encounter something. It's you're wrestling with the fact that you are judging. You're always perceiving the things that are wrong. Some of you grew up in homes that didn't have a lens of faith. They had a lens of fear. And in your house, you learned how not to believe in God, how to believe that the world was out to get you, that things were going to go wrong, that you needed to live with a lot of anxiety and fear and worry. Some of you grew up that way. See, we all started with an unfair disadvantage. And after the Apostle Paul in Romans seven twenty four says, what a wretched man I am. He asks a question. To be honest, it's not the question that we'd ask. Because if we're going to ask a question, most likely we would ask, what do I need to do? I'm, I'm a screw-up, God. What do I need to do? What book do I need to read? What practice do I need to have? What discipline do I need? What sermon do I need to listen to? What Bible verse do I need to memorize? What small group do I need to get involved in? What do I need to do? But that's not at all what he asks. Look at what he asks in the second part of Romans 7, 24. So who will rescue me from this body that is so subject to death? Who? See, it's not a what, it's a who. So I'm going to take you to a small passage out of Romans 6. And for the rest of our time together, I'm going to try to help you understand the who, not the what, that leads to freedom. Romans 6, verse 2 says this, we are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? Read that question again. Look at that. How we have died to sin, but how can we live in it any longer? How? I don't know about you, but I can answer that question. Well, I mean, just follow me around. Just look at me. Just Y'all come spend Monday with me, and I'll show you how to live in sin, right? Right, we, we've got that part down. We don't need to put, like, sticky notes on the dash of our truck to remind us, go live in sin today. Right? It just happens. It's just something that we, we naturally do. It, it's something that is broken inside of us. And at the end of the day, you may have learned this when you were in Sunday school. We just pray and go, God, I sinned today. Would you forgive me? Now, some of us think that that's how life is supposed to go. See, that's not at all what the Apostle Paul's saying here. He's not saying how. He's saying if, put that verse back up there. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live? If you are a person who has died to sin, why would you live in it any longer? If you are that person who has been liberated from fear and worry, why would you live in fear and worry anymore? If you are the person that has been set free from the bondage of worrying about what other people think about you, the fear of man, the fear of being judged, the fear of being uh, persecuted, why then would you continue to live in it? And then he goes on. And really one of my favorite small passages in the Bible, in Romans 6, 3, he opens it by saying, oh, don't you know? Which if you're reading this passage as we go into it, all of us are going to go, no, I don't know. Uh Uh-uh. I have no idea what you're talking about. So let's look at that. Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, to which we after we now know because he just told us, we go, I still don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> what do you mean? That when we were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. Now, we have to get past the language a little bit because the word baptism or baptized is a word that we use specifically in our culture to address church language. Most of you only talk about baptism when you're arguing with your coworkers about sprinkling or dunking, all right? That's not what the, the scriptures was kind of context for this. If I were to come to you and I were to say, How's work going? And you were very busy at work. You might use the term, well, we're all covered up. I, I mean, I'm underwater. All right, that was the context. It was a, a common word to be used in their language. Baptized meant to be immersed. So in this verse, he's saying that we, God, has immersed us into the death of Christ. I want you to see this today. Because something happens when we choose to accept Jesus is that God looks at us, takes us out of Adam, and puts us into Christ. He takes my son, praise God, one day, amen, right, out of Adam, puts him in my daughter, right? You, your family, our church staff, mom and dad. Right? Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Franklin Graham, all the Grahams, right? 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 Your kids, the people that you're praying with, and even my wife, he takes us out of Adam and puts us and immerses us. Now, this is going to become important to understand as we look at the next two verses. Because look at this. Look at what he says in Romans 6 4. We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death, in order to, that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Just as Christ died and was raised to the dead, now uh, from the dead, now we have the capacity when we are in Christ to die and to be raised from the dead. So I want you to see something that's so important. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says, Who then is going to save us? Not what. And the who that makes us new is Jesus. The who that makes us new is Jesus. That's in your notes. The who that makes us new is Jesus. See, most of us have been looking for a what? A new book, a blog, a sermon, a new practice, a new meditative process to go through. But I want you to understand the who that makes us new is Jesus. And this verse contains a little bit more of a reality for us. It says this. This is the next thing you notice, that every benefit of the death of Jesus is available to you. When we choose to follow Jesus, now not only are we the ones who are buried with him in death, but we have the capacity to raise to a new life. The benefits of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection are now available to us. Romans 6, 6, continuing on in that passage. For we know, this is so tricky, but I want you to pay attention to it. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that the body that was ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Isn't that what Jesus said we were? Slaves to sin. Because now, look at this. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, this is a confusing passage. In the church, we like to substitute the word deep for confusing. All right? This is a confusing passage. 
And I think that when we read this, leave that up there. When we read this passage, a lot of the times we think about heaven. For anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And many of y'all have heard, one day we're going to go to glory. We're going to live in a perfect life. God's going to really set us free. But I want you to see something. What did the Bible just teach us a few verses ago? That now God views us through Jesus. We are in him. God, when he looks at us, sees us inside the death of Jesus Christ. So anyone who has died has been set free from sin. See, I want to tell you today, this is not talking about heaven. This is talking about right now. Who has died? God would say that you've died. In Jesus, you've died. If you've made a decision to give your life to him and follow him, you've died. He looks at you and says, no, you were crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but it's now me that lives in you. And the last thing in your notes there, this is so important when we talk about freedom, that sin is no longer in charge of your life. Sin is no longer in charge of your life. Because of the work of Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. Now, I want to point out something that most of us don't recognize. But this is entirely unfair. Now, while your story and my story all started at an unfair disadvantage, this part of the gospel is entirely unfair as well. You're a criminal according to God's law. You trespassed. You have already been declared guilty. You should be executed. You should be killed because the wages of sin is death. That's what sin earns. But Jesus said, I don't want you to die. I'll die instead of you. I will take your sin on me. I will carry the weight of your failure. I will be the substitute to atone for your mess. That's entirely unfair on the opposite end of the spectrum. We don't deserve that. There's nothing that we could ever do that would leverage our capacity to be deserving of that gift. Now, I don't know if y'all know this today, but it's National Sibling Day. That means that in just a few hours, every one of y'all go and post a picture of your brothers and sisters on Facebook. All right? So I thought I would tell a story today that would illustrate how our stories start in a really unfair way. But when we choose to follow Jesus, they end in an equally unfair way. And the story is the story of my sister-in-law. Her name is Andrea. She was adopted from China. When she was one day old, Andrea was abandoned in a park. Don't know anything about mom or dad. Don't know anything about the situations. But an older lady found her. She took her home. And for a few days, she tried to parent her. Thought she could keep her. But she recognized before long that there were some physical deformities. She would later be diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And so she, for the second time for Andrea, made a decision. Like, I don't want to keep her either. So she took her to an orphanage, state-ran orphanage in China, where the government in China was responsible for her. They took were given the charge to take care of her. The local authority at the, the orphanage was there to take care of her as well. They recognized that there were developmental delays in her, and so they sent her to a rehabilitation center. See, the thing about 
Andy's story is that her story is not just her story. It's our story, too. Because the people who we would say were supposed to take care of her weren't just taking care of her. They were also abusing her. Pretty much the doctors have confirmed that while she was in the orphanage and in the rehabilitation center, she was drugged to be controlled. And there are burn scars on her ankles from where we believe she was tortured. But then something happened. See, that's a remarkably unfair way for a story to start. There's not a person in this room that would look at that story and say that's fair. Andrea was one of the poorest people in the world. Andy, as we call her, had no family. She had nobody that loved her, but in Stanley County, halfway around the world, my mother-in-law, who felt God beginning to speak to her, checked out an adoption agency that her sister had used, and she was perusing through the profiles, and she came across the picture of Andy, and she fell in love. And she began to bug her husband about it, who, like most of us, would say, no, no, that we can't do this. We're way too old to do this. And finally, she said, I think this is a really wise thing. She said, all right, I'll stop bugging you about it if you'll pray about it. And it was only a few days later he came back and said, let's do it. God changed his mind. And they went over and adopted Andrea. With just a few strokes of a pen, <laughs> you, you, if you've been through an adoption, you know it's not just a few. But with a few strokes of a pen, she went from being one of the poorest people in the world to being one of the richest. She went from being someone that didn't have a name to someone that had a name. She went from being someone who was unloved and outside of a family the inside of a family. I want you to see something about that point. That her story took a transition that is unfair. There are kids all around the world that don't have homes. She got one. And she now lives with a mom and a dad who love her crazy. And she's a little crazy herself, all right? But you notice that there's something different. See, I want you to see today that her story is your story. You, you were born into a world where you were orphaned to sin. Sin wouldn't leave well enough alone. For many of us, our stories end with us abused and broken. But God, God made a way when there was no way out. He made a way for us to be reconciled to him. See, in John 8, 34, Jesus says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. But look at what he says right after that. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son has set you free, you'll be free indeed. See, I want you to understand today that God has paid the price you to be free. So as we get ready to wrap this up, I want to give you two entry steps that we can take, practical steps to experience freedom in God. The first thing that I want you to see today is that we need to remind ourselves that sin is no longer our boss. 
Sin is no longer our boss. Sin is not your boss. Sin does not control you. You're not a slave to it anymore. There was a time before you gave your life to Jesus that you were compelled. You had to because you were a slave. But you now have the capacity to say no. So let me ask you the same question that the Apostle Paul says. If you could live free from fear, why would you live in fear? If you could live free from addiction, why would you continue to say yes to addiction? I asked my mother-in-law yesterday on the phone. I said, what would you do if tomorrow morning you came down, you were to knock at the door, and the lady who ran the orphanage was there, and she said, I want her back. She said, well, the first thing I'd do is punch her in the face. And then she said, I'd probably say, and then I can't tell you what she said in this context right now. Why, when sin knocks at our door, when you don't have to say yes, would you? Sin is not your boss anymore. Sin does not own you anymore. I want you to say that with me, okay? Sin is not my boss. Say that with me. Sin is not my boss. I want you to say it again like you mean it. Sin is not my boss. Now I want you to whisper it. Sin is not my boss. When you feel tempted, I want you to remind yourself, sin is no longer my boss. And number two, rely on Jesus above everything else. Rely on Jesus above everything else. Remember that the answer to the question that gets us started in the right direction for freedom is not a what, it's a who. And we need to trust, not in our efforts or our trying, but we need to trust in the truth that is Jesus. So let's pray. God, we thank you today that you are a gracious and loving Father, that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you through your Son, Jesus, who died for us, who gave himself for us, who paid the price for us. And God, just like Andy, who was born into a remarkably unfair situation, we were all born into that when we were born into sin. And so, God, today as we've experienced what sin is like, We've experienced the brokenness that comes in the wake of being born into sin. For some of us today, God, I hope that we're hearing the invitation to step into new life that only comes from you. And that our hearts are bowing to you to give up control, to let go of our lives, to stop trying to do it our way, our timing, all of that, and say, God, it is all about you. It's all about letting you be in charge. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to ask you a question today. Is that you? Are you the person that's been trying to do all of this? You've been trying to earn your way out of something that has nothing to do with what you do, how hard you try. And you've been trying. You may understand the problem a little bit. You've been trying to be a better person, but it's not about that. It's about being a newly recreated person through Jesus Christ. If it's you today and you know, I need to give my life to Jesus, I need to get right with him, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Who else is there? Who else? Awesome. All right, hands up everywhere. Who else? Who else is here that says, today is the day I surrender? Now, I'm going to ask another question. And I want you to be real honest, not with the person that's sitting next to you, but be honest between you and Jesus today. 
Are you the person that's here today? And you've been wrestling with what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 7. I know there's some things that I'm doing that I shouldn't. I know there's some things that I need to do that I'm not stepping into. You know that there's a level of freedom that God wants you to live in that you're not living in now. But over the next few weeks, you're going to ask him, God, open the door. I want to live in it. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to do that. Raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. So God, for those who have raised their hand, I just ask you, come and lead us and guide us. Take us to the places that you've called us to be. Thank you, God, for the beautiful privilege of being called a son or a daughter. Knowing that you paid the price. You paid the price to adopt us into your family. That where it was unfair when we started, it doesn't have to remain that way because you have given us such grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.